I had two very humbling experiences this week. <clears throat> the first one was um, yesterday at 2 o'clock, and the second one was yesterday at 4 o'clock. The first one was being at my voice teacher, my voice coach, someone that I've been working with for a couple of years now. I didn't really need a coach, I thought, a couple of years ago until I lost my voice and then I realized that I needed a coach. And she's a miracle worker. And yesterday, for the first time, I worked together with her son. And their approach together is that while my teacher was teaching about various elements of where I'm singing from, her, her son, who is a master with knowing where we hold tension, was busy um, working my body so that in between various notes that I was singing, I was actually relaxing, not holding my body in the same tense place I had been when I was, right, when I was singing. That extra tension being unnecessary and, in fact, actually deleterious to my, my voice. And I was so humbled by how hard it was once I was tense to then go back to, oh, back to here, back to, oh. As if the body has to unlearn the effort that it imagines it needs in order to do something in the world. And so I was off balance for a good hour as I tried to relax. And of course, whenever anybody knows, trying to relax is itself a lot of effort. <laughs> and then immediately following that, I mean, this is a good day for me because it's my day off, I actually started guitar lessons. And, um, and that second humbling moment was realizing, first, and, well, first of all, how amazing it is to be around someone as gifted as Nadav or someone as gifted as Don Nadell, these musicians that are always so incredibly uh, generous in their offerings. But how hard learning one new thing is. The, the, my hands just wouldn't do what Nadav wanted them to do. He kept saying, now do this. And I'd say, no idea, no idea. <laughs> and, then, and then what Nadav said to me, and he said something to me that really hit me so beautifully. He said, he said I've been doing it since I'm a kid, so it's a habit for me. And both of these moments yesterday where I felt in a healthy way like I was lost reminded me of the power of habit. Robert Bella, who's a religious sociologist, wrote a book back in, I don't know, 10 years ago called Habits of the Heart. Habits of the Heart. In other words, the heart, like my hand, or like my body singing, can be habituated to do things. The heart also can learn when to play a chord, or when to relax. There are habits of the heart, no less than there are habits of the body or the mind. And the habits of the heart are what we are doing when we gather, in my opinion, on nights like tonight. The whole week, there was a theme where people were asking me, well, what's going on in Temple, Rabbi? Because I had the opportunity to be at a mindfulness Symposia on Sunday with a Buddhist and a, and a Muslim. 
And then I had this incredible opportunity to teach with my friend, Angie Atkins, um, at a day on leadership. And we were invited to talk about mindful leadership. And when we sat down to talk about mindful leadership and what it means to be contemplative in a business context, someone who had never meditated before, after the first five minutes of sitting silently, said, Rabbi, what are we doing? Like, what are we, am I supposed to stop myself from thinking, she said? Am I supposed to think about my breath? Am I, she had a slew of questions. And they were such good questions. What are we doing? What are we doing? We are training the heart. We are doing the work as I began tonight's prayer service with I go to work and so do you when you come here. And the work is the work of opening ourselves. And it doesn't much matter if you know the Hebrew or the Aramaic, if you know what page we're on or you got lost. You see, we in the Jewish community we do Pew studies on whether or not people identify as Jews, and we get worried about the loss of Jewish identity, and we should be worried. But we very rarely hear Pew studies about those who identify as Jews who don't live an open-hearted life. We don't often have people calling up and saying, you light Shabbat candles, Yitzchak, and when you light those Shabbat candles, what happens? We don't do that. And it was 20 years ago, 20 years ago, a great spiritual master passed from the world. And Rabbi Shlomo, Shlomo Kabach, Shalom, whose music today acts as a key for us to enter into that inner space. Rabbi Shlomo was being interviewed and he was asked, thank you to David Barrett for sending this to me. He was asked, Shlomo, what do you think the Jewish world needs for the next 20 years? And Rabbi Shlomo Karbach said, said, holy brother, what we need in the Jewish world, he said, is a little bit less sitting and learning Gemara, a little bit less sitting and learning Talmud, and a little bit more, how can I love my wife? How can I love my husband? What are the practices that I need in my life in order to live in this world open-heartedly, with courage, with heart? That's what Shlomo said. And all of this, all of this brought to mind a teaching from my dear friend Rabbi Nancy Flam on this week's Torah reading, which can be found in this wonderful book on Jewish mysticism and the spiritual life, where she quotes from the Chernobyl Rebbe, the Moor Enayim. The Moor Enayim asked a question on this week's Torah reading. It says, in the beginning of the Parsha this week, that Avram, Abraham, is sitting at the opening of the tent. And as he sits at the opening of the tent, and God appears to Abraham in the trees, the terebinths of Mamre. He's sitting at the entrance of the tent as the day grew hot. He lifted his eyes and he saw and three men were coming to him. Vayar, he ran. Vayar, he saw. Vayaratz, he ran. Vayishtachu, Arza, and he bows. Vayomar, in the beginning of verse 3, Adonai, Imnamatzati, Chain, Be'enecha. He says to them, 
Masters, if I find favor in your eyes, please don't pass me by. Stay a little bit. I'd like to offer you a place to rest. I'd like to offer you, like the Chesed Committee, I'd like to offer you a meal. I'd like to treat you to radical hospitality, says Abraham. And the Maori Naim, this Rebbe, the Trinola Rebbe, asked a good question here. He says, and this is a question that would bother any close reading of this text. God appears to Abraham, and then it doesn't say God, what God actually says to Abraham. It says, and God appears to Abraham, and then breaks off. And behold, there were three men. And then he says to them, Al na ta'avor, please don't leave. And the Chernobyl Rebbe says, is it possible, he says, that God would appear without any content, without any appearance, without any revelation? And he answers his own question by saying that the angels also were God. And when Abraham said, please don't pass me by, al na ta'avor, pass not away, Abraham was pleading with God that the same experience of divine intimacy that he was having at that moment in meditation be translated onto the mat, into the world. Just as I am aligned with you now, God, in open-hearted connection, I have work to do. I have to go and deal with this hospitality. But let that also be prayer. Let that also be revelation. Let my experience of alignment with you as it translates and transforms into running and baking and bringing, let that also be prayer. Let my feet do the praying. Let my hands do the praying. Let me still be in a state of awareness even as I shift from prayer to life. Let my life be prayer. Let my life be prayer, says the Chernobyl. That's what the people at the UJA wanted us to work on, Angie. They wanted us to say, when I'm answering an email, it's prayer. When I'm answering a phone, it's prayer. How can I be in that place of open-hearted connection? We all know that that's the work. We all know that it's impossible, right? We all know that as much as we plead for that sense of meaning and purpose to follow us in our everyday life, it doesn't always feel like it does right now at your workplace, does it? It doesn't always feel like it does right now when, when your kids have pooped on the floor in your apartment. I'm not saying anything personal there at all. It doesn't always feel like that when work and those who work with you and work for you frustrate you. It doesn't always feel like this. A teacher said to me that when you feel anger, the first thing that you should do is bring your hand to your heart. Because when you're angry, even before you express it, you're the one that's suffering. So we get frustrated, we get tight, and even after we've worked in the world, we don't know how to then soften, relax. And we hold it, and it, it stays here. And then we come to work the habits of the heart. If only 
I say this to myself, I'll pray this out loud. If only, God, I could be as addicted to returning to my heart as I am to checking my email. Oh. <laughs> and I meant that with sincerity. If only the same twitch in my soul to see if I got a new message from someone was the same twitch in my soul to hear if I got another message from you, source of life, or my own inner wisdom. If only I could calibrate myself all day like that instrument that I'm supposed to be. If only I had habits of my heart and not just habits of my mind. That's what we're doing. If somebody asks you what your practice is and you say, well, I go to synagogue once a year, they might say to you, well, what habit does that form? I go to synagogue once a month, or I go to my meditation group once a month. Well, what habit does that form? Those are the questions I would love to see the Jewish world asking. I, I, I'm asking them right now. At the panel last Sunday, um, this wonderful African-American Buddhist teacher, the venerable Panavati, who herself was a, a minister at one point, she's fantastic. She got up with her full Tibetan robes and she started giving like a, a sermon from some Baptist church somewhere in the south. She had this little southern drawl. And she said like this, and I'm just going to, Panavati, when you see this or hear it, I hope I do justice to you. She said, my father, she said, grew up and he was a doorman. And growing up, I thought my father was so elegant. He stood at the door wearing this uniform of a doorman. And I would never have known that doormen were not considered the most noble of professions. I thought my father was doing this great work, standing at the opening of every tent, opening the door. And I loved seeing my father open these doors, she said. But pretty soon I heard from people, I got it. It became clear to me that he wasn't respected for that job. And so I started thinking differently about my father. And then she said, pretty soon, she really internalized that being a doorman wasn't a respectable position. And she began to resent people who wanted him to open the door for her. And said so she grew up, and whenever she stood before a door, she felt immense conflict especially if there was someone right behind her. There were days, she said, where she would open the door and walk through. There were days where she would open the door and the other person would step in and she wasn't ready and she internally would be like, mm. And then there were days, she said, when she didn't have that story. There wasn't anyone walking through the door or anyone holding the door. It was just love. And she opened the door and great. And she said to those gathered, the habits of her heart were difficult to change. Time and again, she had to watch her own mind and her own heart constrict when she was faced with a situation where the door was before her. Until she finally got to a place where standing before a door, her heart could open on a regular basis. That's our work. Because each and every one of us has stories like that that we carry to any given moment. This moment is just like the one that came before, and practice says, no, maybe not. 
I was sitting with a, a very young Buddha this week whose name is Bear, and he said to me, <laughs> my son, Bear, he said, I said to him, Bear, you know, you definitely have to take that thing with you because yesterday what happened was, and the day before happened, and you, you have to do it differently today. You, you have to, I'm not going to get into the details. And then Bear looked at me, and remember this line, he said, Abba, just because it happened yesterday doesn't mean it'll happen today. <laughs> so it says the Chernobler in the name of Rabbi Nancy Flam, there are always only two prayers that we utter every moment. Pass not away and help me return. Pass not away means Help me stay connected to my heart even as I transition in my life between places of more obvious connection and places where it's more difficult. Pass not away to the heart. Stay open, stay open. And then when we realize that the heart is closed, we say, help me return. Stay, help me come back. Help me stay, help me come back. Those are the two challenges for each and every one of us as human beings certainly as Jews. I want to bless each and every one of you. And I know you blessed me back. And Reb Zalman and Shloima, I know you're here and you're listening. The source of mystery bless each and every one of us with habits of the heart, with committing ourselves to a daily routine that brings us back to what's most vital. Help us be addicted the heart opening. Help us have that become, in a sense, almost compulsive. We go to check our heart and our open rate. That's our real open rate, everyone. May it be so for you. May it be so for me. May it be so for all sentient beings. And let us say, Amen. <laughs>